90.7 KPFK, Los Angeles. Next, Rethinking Heroes. We hear from a Marine Corps veteran now living at ground zero of the so-called free state of Florida. Then an Army PSYOPs talks about his new book on domestic terrorism, plus a review of SCOTUS and where you now stand or sit. It's next. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. With over 700 military veteran journalists worldwide, it's your Rethinking Heroes flash briefing. Stories from the front. Kerry Harrison here with your Rethinking Heroes flash briefing, an update on national defense news and stories affecting service members, veterans, and the rest of us. A recently released Supreme Court ruling banning affirmative action and the consideration of race in college admissions. However, the opinion specifically carved military service academies out of the decision because the institutions may have, quote, potentially distinct interests, according to Chief Justice John Roberts' majority opinion. In the 63 conservative majority ruling, the justices noted that the federal government had filed a friend of the uh, court brief urging that the court protect the use of race. I'll say that again urging that the court protect the use of race as a factor in admissions at the academies. The briefing was filed by a group of former military leaders, including former chiefs of staff, who made the case that affirmative action is necessary for national security, but clearly not for national intelligence, as in the educational kind. They wrote that, quote, history has shown that placing in diverse armed forces under the command of homogenous leadership is a recipe for internal resentment, for discord, for violence. By contrast, units that are diverse across all levels are more cohesive, collaborative, and effective. In this Supreme Court ruling, the court argued that these values, diversity, cohesion, and collaboration are things that civilian universities are light years ahead of somehow, ahead of the military and that the highly diverse military now needs to somehow catch up to the universities that no longer need to have these qualities. So you have to think about that one. It's so obvious, but just still think about it. Now we're going to go to a story about an investigation into the Coast Guard Academy that found the college covered up its cadets criminal behavior for years. For more on that, we go to Rethinking Heroes, Rose Thayer. Thank you, Carrie. From Austin, Texas, this is Rose Thayer reporting for Rethinking Heroes. Back in 2014, the Coast Guard Investigative Service became aware of a sexual assault case from years prior that had not been handled appropriately by the Coast Guard Academy, which is in Connecticut. Uh, that led to a broad investigation that uncovered a history of sexual assaults and other misconduct being ignored or covered up by high-ranking service officials between the years of 1988 in 2006. It was just recently, though, that the Coast Guard officials briefed senators on the Commerce, Science, and Transportation Committee about the findings of the investigation. The internal investigation continued through 2020 and identified 62 substantiated incidents of rape, sexual assault, and sexual harassment that occurred at the Academy or by Academy cadets. That's according to a recent to a letter that was written to the Coast Guard by senators who received the briefing. The senators described the information as disturbing and they raised questions about the secrecy surrounding the information. They also expressed concern about whether the Coast Guard had been complying with laws on proper reporting of such crimes. This revelation comes as military academies operated by the Defense Department 
are seeing some of the highest levels of sexual assault reports in years. In response, the Secretary of Defense has ordered a review of all prevention programs for the service academies and asked them to review policies on how to keep cadets who report sexual assault separate from their perpetrators. Now back to you, Carrie, for a look at a recent ruling on jury verdicts and the military court system that could be headed to the Supreme Court. Rethinking heroes, Rose Thayer. That's right. The top appeals court for the U.S. military recently approved the use of non-unanimous jury verdicts in the military, a practice that's been banned from civilian courtrooms since April of 2020. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces wrote in a 5-0 ruling that non-unanimous verdicts have been a feature of military trials since the founding of our nation's military justice system. A jury at a court-martial can reach a verdict with just two-thirds of the jurors in agreement. A unanimous decision is only required for offenses that have a mandatory death penalty sentence, which is rarely seen in military courts. It's been a long-standing requirement that jurors of other federal courtrooms reach a unanimous verdict among jurors in order for a conviction. In 2020, the Supreme Court ruled that states must require this as well. Oregon was the last state that allowed split jury verdicts. Those following this matter expect the decision to be appealed to that same Supreme Court. Now to military reporter Rose Thayer to discuss the Pentagon's new efforts to prevent classified data leaks. Yes, Carrie. This announcement follows the discovery that a low-ranking National Guardsman was able to steal government secrets for months without being noticed. The Defense Department announced it is improving how it tracks who is accessing what Um, and its classified systems. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin back in April ordered the Pentagon to review the policies and procedures surrounding access to this data. And that's that's about the same time that the public learned that Jack Tashira, a 21-year-old with the Massachusetts Air National Guard, was accused of leaking hundreds of classified documents into a chat room on Discord, which is a social media site popular with gamers. The review also found security measures were lax in some organizations that house sensitive data. A number of changes were announced, which should help raise red flags to commanders and managers when they see their personnel accessing information that that they have no business with. For Rethinking Heroes, I'm Rose there. Back to you, Carrie. Thank you so much, Rose. Uh, appreciate that very much. Special thanks to military reporter Rose Thayer for this Rethinking Heroes flash briefing from Los Angeles and beyond. I'm Carrie Harrison. And don't forget to subscribe and like Rethinking Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us and like us across all social media and on Substack simply by looking for Rethinking Heroes. You can also opt in for our free Rethinking Heroes newsletter at RethinkingHeroes.com. Rethinking Heroes, life after the military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh-oh. With me, Carrie Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Perry Harrison. And it is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Glad to have you here. We're going to be talking to a variety of different veterans today about the world in which we currently live. Not the fantasy world necessarily in which we wish to live or the world of Alexander the Great or Charlemagne, but today as a giant movement is crushing this country. And I don't imagine anybody from any quarter thinks it's great and safe and wonderful. I will tell you, I ride a Vespa. You may not know what that is, but it's a sort of a, it's a small motorcycle, 150 cc's, Italian made during World War II. It was the way they got around rubble after bombings. Four bucks, um, you know, a week in gas. It was stolen, stolen. I've had three bicycles stolen from Los Angeles. I had them each for a week. I gave up. Now my Vespa has been stolen. They're not cheap to find. Uh, thankfully, I still have a car. But you know what? It touches me. It touches you. No matter who you are, where you live, it is out of control. Back in January 6th, we had people dressed as elk storming the Capitol like the Bastille. Same thing happened with Prigozhin storming Moscow. It's the same flavor. It's the same resentment. It's the same thought that something, well, that, that's really more like a real estate transaction. But for the rest of us, it's about ripping us off. It's about this notion that you and I, and when my grandfather went and fought the Kaiser in World War I, or my other relatives you know, in World War II, in the Korean War, or my ancestors fighting the King of England, it was so that you and I could have self-sufficiency, consider ourselves safe, and protect each other. Now in certain states, you can have an AR-15 and walk down the street, take it into grocery stores and playgrounds. We're going to talk about that a little bit because it's a movement sweeping this country at the speed of life. National movement stemming from the free state of Florida recently hit your Supreme Court, literally changing the complexion of America's educated future. The Supreme Court taking a nod from its southern neighbors, blatantly spearheading a movement to take the nation back to the previous century. The conservative self-proclaimed, and I grew up as a Republican, sort of an Eisenhower Republican. These are not conservatives. This is something entirely different. This was not what I was trained the GOP was. Limited government, uh, everyone has a fair playing field. This is something entirely different. This Supreme Court this, uh, and the state of Florida, the self-proclaimed free state of Florida, just passed 200, 200 new laws that are now in effect, including a record $116.5 billion budget. That does not sound like the GOP I grew up with. Uh, giant expanded government bu budgets, government reach into your private business. Totally the opposite, the inverse. Record budgets, book banning, overt racism. So coming up, we're going to talk to Marine Corvette, who sacrificed his everything to fight for real freedoms and is at ground zero in the belly button of the same state that now allows, allows AR-15s slung over shoulders in grocery stores and playgrounds. Here are some of the laws that have taken effect in the free state of Florida as the movement crests like a wave across the nation with more and more states following suit. You might wanna consider uh, of these, these might be maybe a better fit in mother Russia than the land of E Pluribus Unum. HB3 prohibits government investment strategies that consider environmental, social, and governance. The last one is particularly good. 
prohibiting government investment in strategies that consider governance. <laughs> I mean, Huxley would have loved that in Brave New World. That's pretty beautiful. SB 214, preventing credit card companies from tracking firearm and ammunition sales through a separate merchant category at gun businesses. HB 225, allowing opening remarks up to two minutes on public address systems before high school championship events. This uh, change came amid a legal battle about whether schools can offer prayers over the loudspeakers before a championship football game. SB 264, preventing property purchases in, in Florida, per, purchases in Florida, I'm seeing how fast I'm going, a thousand miles an hour, preventing property purchases in Florida by people from China who are not U.S. citizens or permanent U.S. citizens, along with Venezuelans, Cubans, and other of the United States' undesirables. I'll say that again, not allowed to sell property to undesirables. SB 2, this is law, this is law as of a few days ago, SB 266 in the free state of Florida, prohibiting colleges and universities from spending money on diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. HB 389, allowing school districts to provide free menstrual hygiene products in school. Unless you're a drag queen or, I, <laughs> listen, wrap your head around that one. HB 543, allowing Floridians to carry guns like AR-15s without a concealed weapons license. HB 1259, requiring school districts to share portions of local property tax revenues with private schools. Oops, there goes your taxes. HB 1285, expanding and making permanent the Florida State Guard, which the governor revived last year. The State Guard will expect, this is not the Coast Guard, this is not that. The State Guard that was abolished, it's now back, and it's expanding from 400 to 1,500 members and will be available as the governor's personal police force. Think 1928, Munich. HB 1305, requiring the Department of Transportation to conduct inspections of the Walt Disney World monorail system. I, I'm kind of smiling when I say that. The requirement comes amid long-running feud between Disney and the governor, and we're going to get to our Marine about that in just a second. And I'm almost done here. HB 1521, these are 200 new laws that are now in the free state of Florida, which make it so not free, not free, not free. Imposing restrictions. They're all about restrictions, restrictions, restrictions. Not more, more, more. Open, open, open. Imposing restrictions on which bathroom transgender people can, which bathrooms transgender people can use at schools and public buildings. It will, it will require people to use bathrooms that line up with their sex assigned at birth, in which the governor will presumably wish to view evidentiary photographs several times, possibly thousands of times until he is personally satisfied. I threw that in on my own. SB 1580, establishing a right for health care for providers to opt out, health providers to opt out of providing services because of a, quote, conscience-based objection based on religious, moral, or ethical beliefs. This means that blacks, Jews, gays, would not receive medicine in the state of Florida as of a week ago by any insurance companies whatsoever or doctors or nurse practitioners who do not wish to. The same success model was used in Germany after 1935. 
SB 1604, nullifying agreements reached by Disney and the state. Uh, the Disney board has been replaced by a governor-appointed Central Florida Tourism Oversight District Board. During this new oversight, neo-Nazis have now plastered, planted swastika flags in the soil of Disney World several weeks ago, now that the state of Florida is running that Disney area. Finally, SB 1718 provides $12 million for a program that allows Florida to transport migrants to other parts of the United States, creating miniature Warsaw ghettos reminiscent of the good old days. So how does all this shake out with a patriotic Marine living at ground zero of these events? Events which, by the way, were cleverly crafted in Budapest, Hungary by the fascist dictator Viktor Orban and introduced to Florida's governor in 2021. Millions are frustrated and pissed about how Florida has become Hungary and how Flungary, let's invent a new word here today, how Flungary is out to harm lots of people and especially communities that have been given crap for decades upon decades upon decades. Well, Brent Hatley sees this governor as evil, Trump merely a moronic narcissist. A Marine's code of honor and any veteran's oath to the Constitution seem to fall outside the realities of today, realities everyone is forced to live with and them. And these Marines, these veterans, these people from all stripe of all armed services, they're forced also to deal and reconcile this. Marine vet Brent Hatley found himself in radio and television for 30 years as an executive producer and on-air talent with Howard Stern. He was quite the big shot there for a long time. Bubba the Love Sponge, another big shot if you know anything about radio. Mary Lou Henner. Brent, also a former U.S. Marine in the first Gulf War, has left public life for good, which means he's with us today and only today as a one-time personal favor to him and me to talk about issues that are of grave importance to all of us from coast to coast. And I want to welcome you, Brett Hatley, to Rethinking Heroes. Hey, Kerry. How are you, buddy? I am improved by having a Marine standing next to me. If you could kick on your camera, if that's possible, I'd appreciate I, it. I, unfortunately, I cannot. I'm, I'm, I'm at my place of business that um, is not for public consumption. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Roger that. Well, let's talk a little bit. You're in ground zero in the state of Florida. We just read off a bunch of new laws that would fit Russia or any of the uh, Soviet satellite countries, uh, Cuba, Venezuela. They would fit them perfectly. But we don't think that that should fit here in the land of E Pluribus Unum. How, in your view, has the governor's Disney fight harmed the working people in Florida? Well, it, and, and, and thank you uh, for having me on and having this discussion, because in, in very specific ways, it's going to hurt the average person in Florida. And here's where I think the media fails um, its listeners and its, and its audience a lot, because they get involved in the food fight and not involved in telling people how it's going to affect their life. Um, I was talking to some you know, business Republicans uh, just gosh, two days ago. And they're very upset with uh, Governor DeSantis because they said that these economic losses that we're going to have from Disney are going to get passed on to you in the form of property taxes because the state is going to have to make up this revenue that we get from Disney. And not only that, <clears throat> we lost a multi-billion dollar complex from Disney that would have created around 5,000 jobs in the Orlando area. That all went to California. And that hurts the, the economy in the state. It hurts the local economy. And it hurts the average person in the fact that their property taxes are going to go up. And even if you live in an apartment, that gets passed on to you by the landlord. So that hurts you in an economy where we have uh, high inflation and, and, and people that are under and unemployed 
that are really hurting. Uh, the, the, the governor's personal Disney fight is not helping anybody in his state. You know, it's interesting, Brett Hatley, when you talk, Brent Hatley, when you talk about that, uh, we know that property taxes in certain parts of Orlando in Orange County have gone up 300%. Those are for people that own private houses, and they're, they're shocked because Disney picked up much of the tab on the infrastructure. That was part of the deal with the Reedy Creek Development District back when Walt Disney cut the deal with the state of Florida to bring in, you know, an international airport and and hundreds and hundreds of millions of tourist dollars to pay for the freeways and all the rest of it so that people wouldn't pay personal property taxes in the state. But now these taxes are localized and people that have a little one story cinder block house are paying 300 times that. You're right, the apartments and, you know, for veterans who have a tough go at it already, now we've just jacked up the rent and made it, you know, endlessly more impossible all for political gain. This governor's targeting of the LGBTQ community is going to hurt the state economy as Tampa and St. Pete and Miami, the three big places of the state of Florida, as their economic engines are driven a lot by those people. Uh, Your term as our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, I think most people in the state also follow you on that. How is this governor violating state law with his secrecy? Well, well, state and federal law. First of all, he's violating the establishment clause of the Constitution of the United States because he's imposing his religious views on the people of Florida and his religious dogma on the people of Florida because that's the only reason that anybody would have a problem with somebody that's LGBTQ is is a religious reason because you talk to anybody that's not religious, um, none of them would ever have a problem with anybody that's LGBTQ. It's all religious. So then therefore it makes it a first amendment violation. Secondly, he's violating state law because we have a, a, a government in the sunshine law here. You can't conduct government in private and he's conducting government in private. And, and and third, he's also violating the 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States by not applying the law equally to everybody. You cannot make laws that just target the LGBTQ community, but don't target the straight community that don't. It, it, it just it, it does not work that way. But the, the, the big thing is, is, you know, you're somebody that's lived in Tampa, South Tampa and St. Petersburg specifically. Um, when I was growing up in the 80s, weren't great places. And the LGBTQ community has made these places worth gold. They are amazing places to work. I live in an LGBTQ neighborhood, right in right in a, in, in a, in a vibrant one, probably the most vibrant one in the United States and the most accepting city in the United States, which is the irony of all this is St. Petersburg is the most accepting place in the United States, and it's in Florida. But, uh, you know, in, in, in a city like this, we don't want to lose our LGBTQ people. They... There's so many businesses. When you go down Central Avenue in St. Petersburg, where there's almost zero corporate business, they're almost all locally owned, and a large percentage of them are owned by LGBTQ owners that really put money into the community. They give people jobs. They can contribute to the overall well-being of St. Petersburg and South Tampa and Orlando and Miami, and this drives the economy here. You know how many... LGBTQ uh, Americans and people from around the world come to St. Petersburg to visit because it's so accepting and so friendly. It's a place where you can be yourself uh, and not face any ridicule or hate or, 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 or violence because of it. 
we don't want to that, that that's a huge economic impact for all of us but also it's a source of pride for all of us in the fact that you can come here and be accepted for whoever you are you know and we have friends of ours they moved here from new york because they have a child that's trans and they moved to saint peter it almost brings me to tears they moved to saint petersburg because they wanted their child to have a life where they could be happy and have friends and be accepted so where did they move saint petersburg they did their research and moved to saint petersburg so with cities like saint petersburg and areas like south tampa and miami and huge, huge blocks of people that are not happy with the targeting of L- the LGBTQ community. Like I talked to a hardcore Republican on Tuesday who said, I have two trans friends and one of them just passed away and they're the sweetest people in the world. I don't agree with going after them. I agree with progress. I agree with business. I agree with, you know, he said, I agree with your Second Amendment rights, but I do not agree with going after people for their identity. That is not conservative. That is not American. It is not what this country was founded on. It's a violation of many constitutional laws. It's a violation of Florida state law. And it's going to hurt the people here who are already hurting. There, These are already marginalized communities here that are really, really hurting. They're hurting economically. They're not getting the support that they need. And, 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 and Governor DeSantis is just making it okay uh, to go after them with the law. And he's fomenting this um this air of uh of just there's no other way to put it the hate and meanness towards this community that has had enough already in 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 our lifetime and the lifetimes before that i thought that this was settled and and we could move on and that the lgbtq community is our they're our brothers and sisters and they they're americans and they contribute to this country and they serve in the military and they contribute to business and they have families and and they're part of our community and why the governor would go after this group of people is beyond me. <laughs> well, I know there's a whole psychology course in there for another time. Oh, there sure is. There sure, and, and you know, Secretary, Secretary Buttigieg uh, has said it on TV pretty, pretty well. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. let me ask you this, Brent Hatley. You're a Marine, which is why I love talking to you, because you take a really specific oath and you you fall on your sword for that oath. So it's not a maybe kind of sorta, it's a real thing. You're uh, a straight guy from everything I know. You don't wake up in the morning and say, I'm gonna be straight, I am, I am. Like it's just a choice on a Tuesday, which is what this governor is saying. And you know that who you are and what you are, it makes you who you are and makes you, makes you able to contribute. According to this governor, uh, Movies with Bob Hope should be pulled off TV because how many times in drag was Bob Hope? I mean, seriously, 80%? Curly and the Three Stooges. Uh, History books with Alexander the Great hauling around his boyfriend. I mean, it's ridiculous if you actually look at it, but you're not supposed to look at it. Where they raped Noah. Yes. And, (laughs) and, And Jesus, which is the New Testament, which is the one that Christians are supposed to be loyal to jesus mentions exactly how many times anything gay zero zero now if it was important he mentioned it he really did this not important not 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 so you know again this is such a a deeper conversation at another time but there's a governor who's gone rogue and this is becoming a movement and this is why i think it's interesting to talk about as we end here is this movement has now hit the supreme court 
the federal government from the highest places have now said that a, a whole group of people are now unpeople when it comes to education. And education is the only way in this Jeffersonian society where you're going to have any kind of decent democracy is if there's a free flow of information and people know what's going on around them. And now those people have been cut out. And that leaves, guess what? People that look maybe like me. Left. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, but you know, you know, the, you know, the encouraging thing about this now, there is a bright side to this that is going to, that is going to backfire on the people that are happy about the Supreme Court decision. The world is moving with the invention of AI, which I work with every day. Uh, with the invention of AI, um, the world is going into a, a tech area, a tech direction. And um, I, I, I even take tech classes. And I had to just I recently had to go to a technical college to their examination room to take a certification test. <clears throat> and I noticed um, all of the people that have, you know, anecdotally, it looked like people from marginalized communities, but they're in there in these tech jobs. And the future is in these tech jobs. The future is not going to be going to Harvard or going to Yale or going to Ivy League schools. It's going to be getting certified with IBM and CompTIA and, and, and Cisco and learning tech because that's where the real jobs are. There's, I mean, if you just look at cybersecurity alone, there's 2.5 million job openings right now. And the people in these communities are, have, are, 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 are resourceful and smart, and they're learning that uh, going to these jobs and not spending sixty thousand dollars going to Harvard—that's that's not gonna that's not gonna get them uh, the job satisfaction or the job security that they want. And there's the, the the world going in this tech direction. I'm very happy about because this is how we're going to escape these uh, septuagenarian and octogenarian politicians, this, this old Supreme Court, and this this old way, and these people that want to go back to the 1950s. The way that we're going to get around this, and the way that we're going to move past it is through technology and the people that are uh, in the technology industry are very encouraging. They're very uh, forward thinking and open-minded and uh, they're looking to a future where uh, technology is the equalizer. So that's my optimistic look for the day today is, um, you know, uh, traditional college is probably going to go by the wayside here very soon because all the jobs are going in, in tech, into tech. All right. I'm going to take the silver lining from a Marine any day over that organ of truth between my own ears that just gets paranoid dealing with all of this stuff. I want to thank you, Marine vet Bren Hatley, who was you've been in radio and television for 30 years as executive producer on air talent with Howard Stern and Bubba the Love Sponge, Mary Lou Henner. You're also a former U.S. Marine in the first Gulf War and you have left the public for good and you've made a one time appearance just for us today to talk about these critically important issues and leave us with hope so i'm really yeah, great yeah to have absolutely you in my orbit. absolutely and any of you out there just let me tell you this there's apartments if you're a veteran there's a great program with dod and if you're not a veteran there's a great program with department of labor where you can get tech certifications and education for free now so uh go ahead and you can google it and look it up and any of you that are looking for work and are, that are hurting uh the tech industry would love to have you thank you so much brent hatley well, have a great you. day my friend and uh, see you soon i hope Okay, thanks, Gary. Have a great weekend, sir. All right, my friend, you too. Coming up, we're going to be talking to an Army PSYOP veteran, much about domestic terrorism as we sort of continue on this giant wave that's splashing across the United States and everyone is getting wet. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Hi, this is Dennis Kucinich, and you're listening to Harrison. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger prick. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-628-7226. 800-628-7226. 800-628-7226. That's 800-628-7226. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194. We are in complete control. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. And it is Rethinking Heroes. Kerry Harrison with you. Glad to be here with you. We're bringing good news amidst the uh, the difficult news because there is always hope and a way out, but that's why we need the guys who've been in the real trenches to examine those of us just sitting around going, doesn't this suck? Well, they've seen the real suck and they're often able able to augur a better way through. You know, there's an expression that belongs to a guy named Sam Francis, who was the late paleo conservative columnist who's discussed with establishment Republicans and the idea of a majority minority America led him to be widely cited by intellectuals, uh, intellectuals of the MAGA movement. Sam Francis's idea was not that anarcho-tyranny, and that's what it's now called by Tucker Carlson, among many others, meaning that people on the bottom are tyrannized from the top, not by their own people, and that people at the top are uh, terrorized by the people below who are the anarchists. Blame? the establishment Republicans and establishment Democrats who have created a, quote, entirely new form of government that was unique in human history. Really not so true. It's just how we're reacting as civilized people uh, running around acting like lunatics now, carrying guns and shooting children in school grounds. That is unique in human history, at least the history in this country. According to Mother Jones's David Korn, in a 1994 article, Sam Francis proclaimed that a first-of-its-kind Hegelian synthesis, that's what he called it, had been created by the upper class in the 20th century as it approached this current century. And this perversion 
forced the aggrieved masses to live under both anarchy and tyranny all at once. In North Carolina, he explained a law-abiding citizen was arrested as part of a media stunt to improve seatbelt enforcement, even as violent criminals were being let out of state prisons on parole. Sam Francis did not mention that the prison releases resulted from a state law enacted in 1987 to prevent extreme overcrowding caused by record arrest numbers. But here he suggested it was a government imposing on us while allowing them to do as they pleased. Remember, most people only eat the food they're given. And if that food is handed out by the government and echoed by entertainment reporters, basically, that's what they get. That's what they know. And it is true. And this is the reality of a full third of Americans. They're right to the end that this has been concocted and manufactured. But they're incorrect in believing it's a 1984-esque Emanuel Goldstein pulling the strings. It's nothing more than a maneuver by politicians to purposely manipulate and seethe discontent and foment disruption in a wobbly democracy. I want to introduce you to John Kerbo. He's an Army PSYOP vet with time in Iraq and Afghanistan, Afghanistan via the DOD, with an emphasis on understanding the nuances of culture and people and human behavior. He speaks a variety of foreign languages, including Arabic, Spanish, German, and Russian, and focuses on combating extremism and disinformation, drawing lessons from the war zone. Over the years, he's focused on how veterans with special operations and civil affairs backgrounds can find meaningful pathways to continue to serve here at home, adapting their skills to address some of our most pressing social issues, including how veterans respond to hate, to radicalization, to echo chambers. That was something we were just talking about moments ago. And propaganda. That is something we were just talking about moments ago. He's got a new book called Combating Domestic Extremism, and it shows how lessons learned in war can help us adapt and overcome the same here at home. Since 9-11, we've acquired nearly two decades of experience in counterinsurgency, like working productively with the population while engaging the root causes of unrest and conflict and counter uh, extremism or understanding and fighting against the radicalization and recruitment by violent narratives and movements. Uh, we've learned more about information warfare. Uh, Donald Trump himself as president referred to it as fake news. So it is something like that. And it's a battle for the hearts and minds across all forms of media and the cyberspace and across multiple war zones in the real world. Former Army PSYOPs veteran John Kerbo says there are important lessons from these war zones that can help us here in our own country, on our own streets, across cities and towns, and online, both to avoid violence and civil strife and to build peace and understanding. John Kerbo, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you, Kerry. Really good to be here as always. Super glad to have you here, because who better than a PSYOPs guy to untangle the impossible for us to understand, whether it's the Supreme Court's recent rulings, whether it's just people running around now on the streets with AR-15s, not the America you grew up in, I grew up in. We're not geezers, but it wasn't that long. Was, it was recent times this wasn't happening. Uh, your new book gives the reader a sort of a user-friendly walk through a multiple hotbed of issues using illustrative parallels from your experiences in war zones, as well as from a growing body of research, um, journalism, best practices. Why now? Why in the advancing 2020s is this important? 
Well, it's a good question. I think we're reaching a critical mass where understanding ideology, information warfare, the vulnerability of our own minds to be deceived by false information and the way people group into these moral tribes and the way the pathways to radicalization, especially understanding the parallels between the Islamic extremism that I saw overseas and the far right extremism, there's a lot of parallels in how the psychology of how people are radicalized. Then you have armed militias, insurgency dynamics, conflict on the streets. These have so many parallels to the war zone. And after two decades of experience after 9-11, we should start applying those lessons learned to understand how to peacefully engage these problems and not just through predicting them and understanding them, but also durable long-term solutions, really engaging the tribal warfare and understanding how do we have this conversation to scale outside of the left-right false dichotomy. John Kerbo, you were with the Army, you were with PSYOPs. Your job was to actually understand what this means, how it works. Today, our veterans, uh, we have a warrior culture, our, our patriotism. Why are our veterans increasingly targeted and weaponized? Uh, one of the purposes of this show was to humanize and show that a lot of people are entrepreneurs, a lot of people are, you know, most people are decent and right. valuable like everyone else. Uh, we saw January 6th and with the, within the militia culture like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys movements, uh, it just screws everything up for people. Yeah, well, there's so many ways our symbols and our image is being weaponized, but the big problem here is the false binary, the false choice is if something is only good or bad. So you take a word like masculinity, toxic masculinity versus healthy masculinity. Warrior culture should be a good thing. Then you could have a two by two table of good traits of warrior culture, like mental and physical toughness, training in say Brazilian jiu-jitsu or Muay Thai, or being compassionate, helping others, helping build people up. Those are good traits of a warrior. There are also bad traits, the, the bastardization of quote unquote warrior culture. So a lot of the ideas, concepts like masculinity and warrior ethos are being weaponized and misused. And veterans I think should help reclaim the good versions of these things, The what it really should mean to be a patriot. Because patriotism has been weaponized. Patriotism means, you know, raise your right hand, you swear to uphold and defend the constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And you believe in the great things that make a country great that we should aspire to. It does not mean taking up arms or and uh, shooting it, you know, um, un unlawfully taking up arms, storming the Capitol January 6th, believing in radical extreme conspiracies. These are so we need to reclaim these concepts. And that's a big part of it is speaking the moral tribal language of millions of Americans. We're not against warrior ethos or patriotism. We need good versions of these things to combat the bad versions. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. You can sign up for our free newsletter simply by going to RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking right now to John Kerbo, speaks multiple languages, uh, former Army PSYOPs, has been around the world. And when I say around the world, I mean around the world. He has seen it literally all. So it's a great gift to have him on today to help explain to us and break down uh, maybe how the veteran community can come together more strongly to combat extremism and reclaim these ideas of patriotism and warrior culture from fanatics. These fanatics who are running around pretending they are the actual warriors, pretending they are the actual, you know, domestic militia here. How do we help veterans reach one another and reduce this radicalization? Well, it's a good question. And another book I've been working on is about, and you, you've, you've been involved in this too, is um, reducing veteran suicide, increasing mental health, and building a community among veterans. A lot of people get out of the service and they seek a sense of meaning and purpose of continued 
service to country, connection to each other, camaraderie, and then really just purpose-driven life, right? That's something we need to help reinvigorate in veterans. And part of that, I think, can be about educating each other and other civilians about how our minds are a target. So, like, you don't see a lot of stolen valor people pretending to be psyop to get free coffee because no one knows what the hell we do. But this is <laughs> this is funny. Yeah, but psyop is like the I use the analogy. It's like the force in Star Wars. It's not. It's like, um, human psychology can be weaponized for bad reasons, but understanding psychological warfare can be used for good or for bad. Unfortunately, we have way too many Siths and not enough Jedi. And to be a Jedi, to understand, to be the good person at you know the Hogwarts, our Hogwarts is J- is the JFK Special Warfare Center for Green Berets and Psyopers and civil affairs. So understanding the way our minds can be targeted, the cognitive biases of the brain and how information warfare really affects us and makes that point of entry, explain that in layman's terms across political divides, including the millions of conservatives being targeted by this stuff. And explain to liberals how to make their messaging more effective and not drive away average Americans. I mean, there's so much to be talked about here. That's that kind of redeeming, like that kind of... um, way to fight back to increase cognitive security, so to speak. That's something we can help each other do, train the trainer. But also you, if you, you better- just, you, yeah. just, you just touched on something really important about messaging from liberals. Mm-hmm. And they hear this over and over again. In fact, everyone screams about the Democratic Party. Why can't it grow a spine? Why does Chuck Schumer pull his glasses to the end of his nose, clutch his pearls and say he's disappointed when he should be outraged having a fit? So how do whatever a liberal is today, how do liberals re-message so that it, it hits the target the way their counterpoints do? Right. It's a, it's a very broad question, but I think a lot of it is understanding target audience and understanding that even if you're on the right side of an issue or think you are, you can be in an echo chamber, you can be in a bubble where you understand what you're saying and what your message means, but other people don't. And you can come off the wrong way. And a lot of what liberals say, they hit tripwires and step in landmines that only fuel right-wing culture war. The, right, the far right tends to weaponize a lot of the mistakes in liberal messaging. Um, for example, there's you know, there's what people are really trying to do when it comes to teaching about historic racism in schools, which is very important. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I think it's very important to do that, not based on ideology or indoctrination, but based on accurate history and understanding. But a lot of liberals, you know, fail to clearly convey what they're trying to do, what their boundaries are, what they are not doing and what they are doing. And, you know, the right wing tends to weaponize that and paint a huge caricature. And they take the most extreme fringe examples of craziness on the left, which does exist. And they make that look like it's the mainstream. That's a technique on Twitter, on Facebook. Russia does it all the time. You amplify the extremes to create flame wars. And then conservatives react and take the bait and it creates a vicious cycle. So we need to learn to breathe, take a step back and say, okay, let's actually try to talk to each other, figure out what most people are really trying to do, because most people are not fringe on any side. So maybe if I just were to synthesize what you're saying, it sounds like say what you mean, mean what you say, don't say it mean, and be direct. Uh, Something that certainly there was an era in school, I was in that era in school, where we were taught to be absolutely accurate. It's like math. You can't, two and four is never 14. I don't care how you do it. It always has to be six period. And the same thing was with language. When we were writing, we had to be accurate. So being accurate is a new kind of bravery, I think, for for people who don't define themselves as right-wing or highly conservative. They are very brave, right-wing and conservative, in saying what they mean. But I think people who are somewhere in the middle just want to be more polite. Can't we all just get along? You sort of know what I mean. But sort of doesn't quite 
you know, knock down all the bowling pins nowadays. No, absolutely. I think people need to be decisive in terms of what we call left and right limits. Here's what we here's what we value. Here's what we are trying to do. And here's what we are not trying to do. We are trying to single out real extremists, people with dangerous ideologies who are actively engaging in warfare against the principles of the United States and against the U.S. government and against the American people. That is very different than an average, you know, flag wave an American who has a don't tread on me flag. A lot of liberals instinctively react to, say, a pickup truck with a don't tread on me flag and assume, well, that's an extremist. No. Do a lot of extremists co-opt that flag? Yes. Does that flag tend to show someone to be a little more conservative? Probably. But we need to stop throwing false, um, reflexively falsely labeling everyone as an extremist. We need to clearly define extremism and be clear about how we're going to combat that. And this is not a left versus right issue at its core. It's an American issue. It's an issue of core values. And I think veterans can help amplify that message and really lend credibility to it. Thank you so much, John Kerbo. Appreciating you coming on uh, Rethinking Heroes. John Kerbo is an Army PSYOP vet with time in Iraq and Afghanistan via the DOD, with an emphasis on understanding the nuances of culture, people, and human behavior. Speaking a variety of foreign languages, including Arabic, Spanish, German, and Russian, focusing on combating extremism and disinformation and drawing lessons from the war zone. I very much appreciate you coming on. Coming up in just a moment, we're going to be talking. Thank you very much. Talking more about this, but the Supreme Court and how that splashes down on you, assuming you are not a monolithic character. You might have a range of motion. And are you in the crosshairs? And what does it mean? Military, civilian or otherwise? We'll find out in just a moment. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Kerry Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. Hi, this is Dennis Kucinich, and you're listening to Harrison. If you're living with diabetes and using insulin, you know the pain of pricking your fingers over and over again. Ouch! Well, by wearing a small remote device called a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, you can reduce the pain of pricking your fingers. If you administer insulin three or more times per day or use an insulin pump, call now and learn how a CGM can help you. Painless. No more pricking my finger. No finger prick. Convenience. They delivered it free and they took care of all the paperwork. You can reduce pain right away. Plus, it's accurate, easy to use, and helps you spend more time in range. And if you have insurance, you can get a new CGM at little or no out-of-pocket cost. Call now and get free shipping of your new CGM. Plus, we'll bill your insurance for you. 800-628-7226. 800-628-7226. Do you own an annuity, either fixed rate, indexed, or variable? Are you paying high fees and getting low returns? If so, Annuity General would like you to have this free book to learn the pitfalls and mistakes of buying an annuity. The Annuity Do's and Don'ts for Baby Boomers contains the little-known truths about annuities, like how to help reduce your fees and increase retirement income. And it's free. That's right, free. As a bonus, we'll also throw in a free annuity rate report just for calling. We researched over 1,000 annuities and summarized rates and benefits from financially strong insurers. You get annuity do's and don'ts for baby boomers and the annuity rate report, both absolutely free for calling Annuity General today. Hurry, supplies are limited. Call now. 800-726-2194. 800-726-2194. 
800-726-2194. That's 800-726-2194. We are in complete control. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. And it is Rethinking Heroes. Carrie Harrison here with you. Don't forget, you can get our free newsletter simply by going to RethinkingHeroes.com and we'll be able to send you transcripts of these conversations and other things you wouldn't be able to find anywhere else. Also on the uh, Facebook page for KPFK and other places, you will find a video of many of these broadcasts. Well, I want to talk a little bit about the Supreme Court because what they have done is said that the military is allowed to have complete and total and should have full, unfettered and unbridled diversity in the armed forces because it actually matters and makes things better. However, simultaneously, when it comes to education, it does not make things better. Now, I'm not asking you to come up with a logical syllogism here and find out if P is then Q because P is Y or K. We don't even know why. But thankfully, we have folks like Kevin Kumashiro, who's the founder of a nationwide network called Education Deans for Justice and Equity, and the award-winning author of 10 books on education. And this matters to you. If you're a vet, if you're a civilian, if you're anyone, if you're running around with $80,000 debt, if you're looking to survive and flourish and navigate the endlessly impossible shoals of the future, you need to have those tools. And if you don't look like a white Anglo-Saxon Protestant, maybe you don't get to play anymore in the sandbox of fun. It violates all kinds of laws. It violates the spirit of the Constitution. But this is not my bailiwick or my wheelhouse. It is that of uh, Kevin Kumashiro. And I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. It's such a treat to be here, Kerry. Thanks so much for having me. I am glad you're here. And maybe you could walk us through what this means for people who've sort of heard wisps of what this means and how it's going to play out. They already know about the counterpoint. The military thrives on diversity. It cannot exist. In fact, national security, it says, is pegged. The mere survival of the United States is pegged on diversity, except when it comes to knowing things in school. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting that the Supreme Court does actually name military academies as exempt from their ruling on banning affirmative action. So basically what the Supreme Court did with its ban on affirmative action in university admissions at Harvard and UNC is to strike down 45 years of precedent. So we've had three Supreme Court cases, 78, 2003, 2016, that consistently ruled that universities cannot have race quotas, but they can look at race if it's one of a number of factors, if they look at the whole student, and if they argue that racial diversity is necessary for a high quality educational experience. And so that has been the consistent ruling. And actually, even back in the very first case, 1978, Harvard's admissions process of looking at the whole student where race is one of a number of factors was held up as a model. So I think that's part of why the significance of Harvard in this case is so important. But one of the things that happens with this case is um, playing up or buying into kind of like what your previous guest was talking about, this very commonsensical way of thinking about 
how do we want to move forward? Well, what is race? It's paying, what is racism? It's paying attention to race. And so maybe the way that we should move forward is to not pay attention to race, is to pretend it doesn't exist. This is often called the colorblind narrative or colorblind ideology. You, you move forward by not addressing race because addressing race is a form of race discrimination. And that's really what this uh, court bite into. It's the, the message that it was putting forward. And, you know, the reality is that you can't address racism without naming race and explicitly trying to counter it. And so the uphill battle for universities is going to be profound uh, if, if in this moment. You know, you'd think that uh, a university, which is a place of learning for all. And remember, our neighbors are part of all. Do I want nitwit neighbors? No because nitwit neighbors with AR-15 do nitwit things. It's so simple. Really, if your IQ is 40, you're going to get this. But this is a cynical plan because ultimately you're probably creating a voting block that you want. So it's maybe about up funneling power once again. For sure, for sure. I mean, there's some parallels with the student debt crisis as well. You know, back in the 70s, um, we were hearing conservatives talking about how the proletariat, the, the labor working class, is becoming too educated. And one of the reasons was desegregation. But you know what? Another reason was, was we had too much free higher public education. And so one of, that's one of the reasons why we began to charge more tuition for public education. It's also one of the reasons why we made more concerted efforts to end uh, mandatory desegregation programs to end affirmative action programs. People are afraid, people in positions of power are often afraid when the masses are educated. And yet I would argue, as many do, that a central role of educational institutions isn't merely to help individuals to compete in the economy. A central role of schools and colleges in a democratic society should be fueling democracy. It should be teaching us to think for ourselves, to question dominant narratives, and to build towards the future Future that doesn't yet exist rather than just simply fit into the world as it currently is. Wow, I could put that in a bottle and seal it up and put that on the shelves of every grocery store and you just nailed it in a single gulp. I, where do we find some of your books so that we can do a deeper dive if we want to? Oh, well, thanks for asking. I mean, my website is kevinkumashiro.com. Um, it lists some of the books. It also lists a bunch of statements that a bunch of scholars have put out there about so many of the controversies that we're talking about today. And I'm going to spell his last name for the uh, people with ears listening to radio. It is K-U-M-A-S-H-I-R-O, K-U-M-A-S-H-I-R-O. That's Kevin Kumashiro. And I want to thank you, my friend, for having come on. You are the co-founder of the Nationwide Network, Education Deans for Justice and Equity, and the award-winning author of 10 Books on Education. Thanks to you, I feel uh, a little more inspired. My dendrites and synapses are firing in a, in a way that I think even medical doctors might prefer. So Thanks I appreciate all me. your good work. All right, my friend, we'll have him back on again. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. Very much enjoying spending time with you. I know these are tough climbs because there's so much content and it's so complex, but it is delicious, nutritious, and, you know, it gives you that tools, the tools that I need that you need to survive the impact of the world ahead of us. Looking forward to seeing you next week. And, you know, stay well and stay strong and stay hopeful. Preventing truth decay. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison. RethinkingHeroes.com. 
Greetings. I'm Sister Charlene Muhammad of Liberated Sisters.